Hi, this is Sex Ed Debunked, a cross-generational podcast hosted by mother-daughter duo Christine and Shannon Curley. Every episode, we tackle a new myth about sex, sexuality, and pleasure and use research and expert insights to debunk stereotypes and misinformation from the bedroom and beyond. In 2022, we won the American Association of Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists Award for Best Podcast. And also managed to not totally freak out our family and friends along the way. We believe in healthy, sex-positive, pleasure-focused sex education backed by real research and real experience. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at sexeddebunked or email us at sexeddebunked at gmail.com to share your sex miseducation tales and the myths you'd like to hear us debunk. Thanks for listening. Hi, and welcome to Sex Ed Debunked, a cross-generational podcast about sex positivity, sexual health, and what it really means to bring sexy back. No shade at Justin Timberlake. He did a really great job with that song. (laughs) <laughs> and we which love is like Justin 20 Timberlake. years old now we do we love justin timberlake but also sexy back is like 20 years old is a still relevant an ancient still tale. relevant yeah exactly <laughs> still relevant so on this week's episode we're talking about reconnecting yourself with your body including how to work through things like body images and challenges that we have and how we might be changing maybe after having a baby maybe just getting a few more years under the on the road and different types of self-discovery through body positivity. Yeah. So to help us with this topic, we are welcoming um, Tara Galliano, founder of Rediscovering My Body and Boulder Sex Therapy to the show. So welcome, Tara. Thanks so much. It's a pleasure to be here with you both. Excited to have you here. It's very, I'm very excited to have you, Tara, because I talk to so many women about issues around how they feel about their bodies as they change and especially how their bodies change in the comparing themselves to social media and how they think they're going to be. So it's wonderful to have an expert here that really encourages women to embrace their sexy. So um, I understand that you're a sexual empowerment coach, an author, and a speaker. So I'm really curious how you got involved in this topic of rediscovering sexuality and getting sexy back. Ah, Well, thank you for asking, Christine. So I started a private practice as a clinician in 2000, and everybody wanted to talk about sex and sexuality. And I had zero classes on human sexuality in my graduate studies. And so then I needed to get up to speed. So I became certified as a sexologist, certified as a sex therapist. And then I started working with women who had cancer. Interesting. Uh, Yeah. uh, Yeah. And that really changed really the trajectory of my career. Um, because what I noticed was that it wasn't just women who'd had a cancer diagnosis that were really struggling with being in their body, with surrendering to the sensations of pleasure and really accepting their own sense of body image. It seemed to be all women, whether it had been uh, a divorce or a change in their hormones, um, post-pregnancy, menopause, something had impacted them to have a different perception of themselves. And because of that, they wanted to begin to rediscover themselves anew. And so that's where I wrote my book. And that's where I actually do a lot of work. That's so interesting. I I hadn't, you know, of course, Christine mentioned, you know, thinking about your body changing as you get older, going through pregnancy or something like that, but also your relationship with your body when you go through a disease or something like cancer that changes your body, or even if you are sick in some other way and and you lose certain sensations or certain kinds of connection. Um, I hadn't even thought about that. So that's a really interesting way to have gotten into this field of research. Yeah. And I'm so glad that I did because the women that I met were 
absolutely amazing and courageous and vulnerable. And really, I would say these Amazons really rising, like phoenixes rising from the fire. They really gone through something that had changed their whole world and that they wanted to then claim more pleasure for themselves just seemed like an amazing journey. And I felt honored to be able to assist them in that process. Yeah, that's incredible. That's amazing. And I I think, Tara, it sounds like it's also relevant to, you know, any type of setback that we have physically, you know, when, when maybe we're at a certain age where we're, we're strong and athletic and we look at ourselves in the mirror and we feel like you said, powerful. And then something happens that makes you feel weak and vulnerable. And I, I, have you dealt with women who are dealing with those kind of issues as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I think the, the piece about having a life threatening illness is about, there's a sense of betrayal, like your body has betrayed you, even though you've done all the right things. And then you have this life-threatening disease or a chronic illness, and you don't know how you got there, or how that happened. And so then going past that sense of betrayal to tap into the power and the beauty and the strength of the body is, is a very, I would say, difficult, challenging, heartfelt journey. Um, and, and I think that oftentimes... It's referenced through um, a physical change because when women have cancer, sometimes they're having surgical alterations to their body. And then I also say that I see that it happens through psychological changes as well, like, like a divorce, like a loss of a relationship, that that actually impacts our sense of self as well. Yeah, that's, that's super interesting. I mean, it's the betrayal is exactly the word that I was thinking of when you were talking through that is is, you know, yeah, you feel like your body is no longer cooperating. It's no longer doing the things that you need to do. And, you know, how do you find a way to still feel connected when you feel betrayed? And how do you work past that betrayal and, and find a new type of connection? And I think navigating that, which of course is the research that you've done, but navigating that relationship between betrayal and then healing and then into pleasure, I think that's fascinating. Um, and I'd love if you could just speak a little bit more about how you have been able to coach through that. Yeah. And and I would say that it is a fairly common process for so many of us that we have had experience uh, of betrayal, whether it was in relationship with another or in relationship with ourselves and our body. And then there's a, a period of grief. And I think that's really the first place where we need to begin um, and honor that process. I think oftentimes there's a motivation to get past it and go to the ecstasy, go to the pleasure, go to the orgasm and I, I get that desire to want to not be in the pain. And yet there's a huge grieving process that needs to be like, before we can get to the pleasure. The whole grieving process. So many people tell us, oh, just snap out of it, right? Just snap out of it. Feel back. Or people will be so encouraging and say, oh, but you're beautiful and you're powerful and you're kind and you're lovely. And you're saying, You've got to allow yourself to grieve. And before you can truly go on this journey to come back to positivity and sexuality and erotica. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and that's why I wrote the book that I wrote, because I, I do believe that there is a way where we need to connect to ourselves and identify what is. So this way we have a baseline um, before we proceed. 
Because if we don't know exactly where we're at or some sense of where we're at, we just kind of jump forward, then we're reaching for things that we actually may not be ready for. And I would say kind of this journey to ecstasy and orgasmic bliss is uh, an advanced course. Because for a lot of us, we have to deal with the, the, dra- the trauma, the drama, the pain, the grieving prior to getting to the ecstasy. So Tara, the way that our show is you know, formatted is we always talk about myths every episode. And what we find as we get into more complex subjects is that we don't have a singular myth to debunk. We end up having a lot of myths to debunk. And so I'm curious in your work, what are some of the more common myths that you've found your clients saying about their bodies and about that body, you know, and sexuality and sensual connection? Yeah, I, 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 that's a great question. I love that. Um, I mean, I think, goodness, that's a lot of them. Um, something about anti-women, anti-pleasure uh, that I see a lot of heterosexual couples. And in that, I see the difficulty for the women to really claim their sense of pleasure for themselves. Um, and, and I see this, goodness, I saw this really clearly in particular with women who'd had cancer because they had felt like they depleted all of their resources, financial, emotional, um, psychological, and that they were just on the verge of like, I don't have any more juice for anything else. So to proceed forward and actually be claiming pleasure seemed like a really extravagant place to be. And if they could imagine that they were doing it because of their partner or they were doing it because somebody else wanted them to claim that, then it was like, oh, okay, then that makes it okay. Um, And so for me, that's really this performative paradigm of this sense of if I do this for another, which so many women, we land there. We feel like it's we cannot claim that for ourselves, that it's not our birthright, that not, that's not a tap into a vital life force energy to be sexual or to claim that sexual energy. So if we claim it, then we can claim it for another. And so I see that again and again in my practice. And so that's really a big myth that we, I believe, as women need to claim our pleasure for ourselves because it is our birthright, because we do get so much vitality from being with that sexual energy. And I know that's true. And I just don't think that we come into this world knowing that, or maybe we do, it's quickly unlearned and it's reinforced with ideas that aren't really helpful. So, so Tara, this is, that was so beautifully spoken in terms of how women have to, many women go through the world. I was wondering if you see any age related differences. Do you feel like the younger generations are embracing, especially younger women, are embracing pleasure a little more wholeheartedly? I I would like to say in some ways I do. And then if they're coming to see me, um, they're not. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And right. I mean, that's the problem, right? Is I think there is more in general, I think there's more sex positivity. And we've talked about that on this show before, but you know, we always, we try to take the cross-generational approach because it's me and my mom, right? And as much as I see, yeah, sex positivity and generally embracing the idea of sex, maybe becoming more mainstream, you can't really beat the fact that there's still body image problems. There's still a lot of problems with self-image, so a lot of problems with self-worth. And of course, you can speak to this more than I can, Tara, but I think if you have all of those things in the way, it doesn't matter how generally sex positive you are, you're still having a somewhat unhealthy relationship with sex because you're not connecting your body to that experience. 
Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure what else to say about that, but I absolutely agree with you, Shannon, because that is what I see. I think that um, the world hasn't changed enough. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm a mom and I'm a grandma, and I, I see from my granddaughter that she's 10, I, I see some of the challenges that I wish she didn't have. Um, yeah, about what it's like to be, be becoming a woman, um, to still be a, very much a little girl, and also the challenge of that in-between stage and then the embracing of her own sense of sexuality and how in our home it's okay, but in the larger culture, that's not really endorsed. What are those conversations, and, and not even specific, of course, to your family, but when you do have conversations with younger folks, whether they're you know, adolescent, teenager, young adult, whatever it is, there's obviously a difference in conversations between younger folks and older, right? There just is because your body has gone through different things. You're earlier in the journey of becoming yourself. So can you talk a little bit about how you sort of approach those different conversations? Yeah. I I mean, I'd say in some ways there's some similarities and so I can speak to those. And so really following the lead of the person who's bringing up the subject, because I, I don't want to necessarily push an agenda that is not present, right? I, they're coming to me um, that I need to listen first and then begin to understand what feels appropriate, what can they actually hear, and then what would be most helpful for me to say. And I think again and again, what I can say is that the opportunity is to really trust that they know something about their experience that is profoundly true and needed in this world and for them to express, um, whether that is, you know, how they're showing up in the world in terms of relationships, or is it maybe more even personal than that, how they're showing up celebrating their own sexuality? And and I think that's, I mean, that's why I wrote my book. I, I really wanted people, but particularly women, to come into understanding what's true for them that they absolutely know. How can they really claim this experience of being the expert on themselves? And I I would say that that's really important, whether the person is young or old. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's such, I just, of course, Christina, let you uh, finish, but I just, that way that you've put that of sort of owning your own image of self is huge. I mean, that's so impactful because when I think about, you know, my experience, especially in middle school and high school and my, you know, my self-image, um, so much of my self-image was dictated by what I thought other people thought about me and uh, like unfair comparisons. Like for the longest time, I thought I had a giant nose because my friend told me that I did. And then I realized I didn't have a giant nose. She just had a really small nose, but I like went through a lot of life thinking that I had like the hugest features because she had small ones, which is kind of a silly example. But I think the way that you just put it sort of really tightened up a lot of that narrative for me of why that was, you know, if I had just been able to see my own self and not have someone else, anyone else's view impacting that, I think it would have done me a lot of good in in building an understanding of self overall. So Tara, I wanted to circle back to, to get the actual title of your book (laughs) because I didn't, I must've missed it. Um, And, and when did you start writing that again? Uh, The name of my book is called Rediscovering My Body. And I started writing it probably around the time I was teaching the classes at Boulder Community Health. Um, 
I don't know, around 2009. It took a long time to write and then a pandemic happened and then I had a little bit more time in order to finish it. And at that point, it changed from being a book for women who'd had cancer to a book for all women to begin to explore and understand their own bodies. And so inside the book, there's activities, there's practices to get to know oneself a little bit better, to become more acquainted with the intimate part of oneself. So, so Tara, you might be familiar with some of the structure of our podcast. This is when I hop in and for a bit and talk about some of the research because um, we introduced this episode talking about body image, but you're really talking, it sounds to me, about rediscovering everything about your body and what your body can do. And the, the academic research that looks at things like body image has actually said that improving body appreciation is what is actually linked to higher levels of sexual satisfaction and relationship satisfaction. In other words, getting away from what like you were talking about, Shannon was talking about looking at how I look in the mirror and my physical features, but actually appreciating all that your body gives you in your life. And it sounds to me that that seems to be a bit of your focus. Is that correct? Yes. I, I, I mean, what I think when I hear you say that, Christine, is uh, gratitude. Really, I feel like gratitude is a very high place to be in our lives. And when we can have gratitude and appreciation for ourselves, it's a powerful place to begin anything. And I often see that when people are coming to work with me, that they're feeling like there's a deficit, that they're not good enough, or that there's something wrong with them. And I I don't buy into that, right? I really feel like that's not the approach. Uh, a better approach is to really embrace all of who we are. Because yeah, this experience of body appreciation, even if it feels small, really needs to be expanded so we actually can have the pleasure that we desire in our lives. Yeah. And it's that it's an interesting dichotomy between what we were talking about earlier with betrayal and betrayal versus gratitude. Betrayal is sort of looking at the lack or the absence, but gratitude is looking at what your body can give to you. And somewhere in all of that, there's healing, right? And that's, that's the best thing you can hope for. But, um, yeah, gratitude. I think gratitude is a huge, huge word and hugely important when it comes to self and self appreciation. Yeah. I agree. So Tara, you mentioned that your book has certain like activities. Would you be willing to share an example of an activity that you would encourage women or your clients to do to help them on this, this journey towards body appreciation, which is in particular more difficult for what is for men, unfortunately? Yeah. So uh, a very popular one is uh, one that I refer to as body mapping. And I just was able to do this in person at Boulder Community Health uh, just last month. And it was a really profound process where women have another participant draw the outline of their body, which in and of itself is an intimate experience to have someone else we've just met draw an outline of your body. And then once that external image is created, the woman fills in a map of where she experiences pleasure. And then the areas where she does not experience pleasure, so kind of the places in her body that are off limits, and then maybe indicated places that could be um, 
touched if they were touched in a certain way. So the way I like to approach it is fairly simple and that I'm not quite an artist. And so I just invite people to do red for no thanks, no touch, and a green for go ahead and a yellow for kind of maybe. And 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 actually what I what I do receive when women are filling out their own body maps are uh, you know somewhere in between these decoupage masterpieces where they're like cutting out little pictures from magazines and gluing them on and making these incredible maps of of themselves to these artists really drawing intricately the places that feel good in their body. And then I invite the women to date it because we're always evolving, we're always changing, and then to revisit it at a later date. What happens then is the women share this with each other because to share it with another person that you've just done this activity with is a really also vulnerable and revealing activity. And then after they've had that experience and have been received and witnessed, I encourage them to share it with their intimate partner if they have one, um, to sit down and say, hey, this is what I discovered. This is actually what I like. And sometimes I didn't know. Um, And because this most recent experience was with women who had cancer, it was a lot of grief. I'd say there were a lot more tears than the women would have thought they would have had. Um, And it was a lot of Oh, goodness. Revelation, sadness, and and heartfelt sharing. And that was a big piece of the class. And that is an activity that is in the book. What I love about that is that you encourage this exercise in the absence of a partner. Like eventually, yes, you can share your findings, but I like, I think it's really important that you asked all the participants to examine their body and do this body mapping on their own. Because I think, you know, of course there's different reactions, right? There's different levels of sharing and vulnerability if you're just with yourself and if you're with someone else. And then also the community of people, because they had cancer, I think, you know, having that shared experience probably allowed for all of them to be a little bit more open about where they were with their bodies. I think that's, that's a really incredible exercise. Um, you know, we've talked a lot, obviously about women, um, but, and of course, women is, women are affected a, a lot, I think, disproportionately by body image and body dysmorphia issues. But, you know, do you think the, that more than women experience this and have, have you experienced, you know, different clients beyond just cisgendered women who experience these similar kinds of challenges? Yeah, absolutely. I would say that this is, yeah, this has impacted every body, right? Every being that has a body. I have not seen it exclusive in women, um, cisgendered women or otherwise, and that it is everybody. And I'd say that during the pandemic, because my business went virtual, and I'd say a lot of people's businesses went virtual, people were showing up on camera, that it caused actually a lot of people to be impacted because they all of a sudden they're seeing themselves on screen and they hadn't before. And I, I mean, I've seen a lot more men in my practice talking about this experience of body dysmorphia um, that they were not even aware of prior to the pandemic because all of a sudden they're seeing themselves and they don't like what they see or they want to alter it, they want to change it. Um, And so really highlighting the sense of not feeling good enough. That's fascinating. I hadn't, I I had thought about that. It's funny. I did my um, master's in communications during the pandemic. So it was a very interesting time to go from, you know, 100% in person to 100% remote. And I talked a lot about 
in my research, I talk a lot about the differences of kind of moving from being in a public business space to then being in a very personal, intimate space. And you're basically inviting everyone into your home, whether you like it or not, because cameras on everybody. Um, but thinking about how that would impact self-image is really, really interesting because yeah, I mean, before COVID, before the pandemic, we weren't looking at ourselves this often. Now, if you are someone that works a remote job, like many of us do, you are looking at your own face every day. And actually something that I have started doing just because I got sick of it was I hide my self-view on calls because it allows me to focus on who's actually speaking. And it also allows me to not nitpick every stray hair on my head or the like weird red thing that showed up on my face overnight. So a little pro tip for any of our listeners that have maybe experienced that is you always have the option to hide self-view and it still appears that you are on camera, but you don't have to be looking at yourself the whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and who would have considered that before pandemic, really? Just another strange, strange way the pandemic has affected our lives. But, you know, and again, kind of connected to that, though, what was one of the biggest issues that came out of COVID was people couldn't go to the gym. They fell out of their diets. They, you know, a lot of people, I think, experienced body image changing during the pandemic. So do you feel like that's true in your experience? And you've, you've kind of had that with clients dealing with that specifically coming out of COVID? Uh, yes, I mean, and it is interesting too because I, I I became a therapist because I wanted to see people in person. I, I didn't want it to be mediated through this technology, and yet it has facilitated my business to be relevant. Right, so I'm I'm providing access and have access to so many more people around the world, which has been in and of itself fascinating to see the um, I would say the connections that we all have or the characteristics that we've all experienced in this pandemic. And yeah, that there is a sense of, an, I always say, invasion of privacy um, that, that we're offering so much more of our homes, of ourselves, and then the discomfort that has been created from that. Uh, and, and, and also that when I show my body on, because I often want people to know uh, exercises or techniques that I'm offering, that when I show my body, it feels very different than somebody meeting me in person. It feels, um, yeah, it feels like a very different experience. And that often I don't see my clients' bodies. I have no idea what their bodies look like. I just see them from the neck up. So strange. It's I remember a strange like, life. <laughs> yeah, that is why every time wild, I meet people from so. new jobs in real life, there's always that moment where you're like, oh, I didn't know you were that tall. Are you? that short oh you look different than i expected you're like well yeah because i'm outside the five inch box on the screen (laughs) you look different when you're not in the television (laughs) so true (laughs) we all had that all have that had that experience so i think one of the things i'm hearing that i also find really interesting Kara, is one of the things that we talk about in psychology um oftentimes is you know, there's so much in the media about gender differences, but there is this gender similarities hypothesis. And it sounds like your experience is that men and women aren't all that different in terms of worrying about how they look, worrying about how they appear, all of those things. That's what I'm seeing in my practice now, which I wouldn't have thought, but I am seeing an increase in body dysmorphia with men, um, which is unfortunate, but it is does seem to be an impact for all of us. Sorry. Um, I'm on the other side of that, though. 
I find it fascinating that men are seeking your help. And I think that might be a change that has come from the pandemic as well, is that there are maybe more men willing to seek mental health therapy, relationship therapy, that maybe, maybe you were, I, I'm curious, were you seeing that many times mm-hmm. before? The- I, I would say it ebbs and flows. It goes in waves. Sometimes I see more men than women. Sometimes I see more couples. Uh, but I am seeing, I will say, more men who are struggling with body dysmorphia because it is impacting their relationships and their ability to feel sexual or sensual with their partner. Uh, that has inhibited some sexual connections. Right. And so that, do, do you think, I just wanted to have one more follow-up just to say, did you, do you give, give, is the advice you give to men and women's bodies different or is the advice? I love that because I tend not to give advice. I feel like, oh, I, yeah, I, I really try not to. I'm really more curious about the process. And um, I do think that the process does seem to be different. The men who are seeking help with body dysmorphia want a little bit more linear progression tools in their toolbox and women are feeling relief in different ways and they actually seem to respond more to group therapy in that process of being able to normalize their experience and feel like okay it's not just me so uh, it is a little bit different that's interesting so you know this is kind of an obvious question but it's the question that's worth asking is what is the connection between healthy self-image and healthy sex? And how do you discuss that topic with your clients? Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. I think that, that there's a huge connection between healthy self-image and healthy sex. And that when one values oneself and loves oneself and can feel that sexual pleasure within oneself, then they're able to cultivate an invitation and invite someone to share that with them. And that's the way I like to approach it because I think that when we have that experience for ourselves, then we can share it with others and that it it should never be the other way around. Um, If, yeah, I hate to say never, but I do believe oftentimes that the, what I see is that we're as women in particular, so trained to be caregivers or giving to others that we forget our own sense of that sense of, agency and that the opportunity for so many of us as women is to claim our own pleasure is to really have a sense of who we are our image of ourselves loving ourselves confident in ourselves and then be able to cultivate that invitation to extend to others on a sexual ground i think that's really a powerful place to be well i completely agree This is a large portion of my research as well, um, is looking at the connection between positive, positive sexuality and health and well-being outcome. And it's great to talk to you and someone else who is pretty much shouting the same message from the rooftops that we're entitled to pleasure. It's part of our holistic well-being and both, you know, all genders need to claim that as something that's not peripheral to our lives, but something that's integral to our lives. Yes, I absolutely agree. I love the way you said that, Christine. Yeah, absolutely. Amazing. So your book, Rediscovering My Body, I assume anyone can buy that on Amazon or any of the other regular platforms. Great. Um, Is there any part of that book, of course, we've talked about things that I'm sure are mentioned in it, but is there any part of that book that you want to highlight 
um, right now? Or is there any part that you tend to direct people towards? I mean, it is not necessarily a linear book. It's like kind of you can open it up and just start an activity. And and I wrote it specifically like that uh, because I did want it to be a little bit more um, like a playbook, like something that you can just interact with and put down and not need to read it from cover to cover, but just engage with it as you felt inspired. So I, I like that type of engagement. I didn't want to focus on myself so much as an expert, but really allowing women readers to engage with the work as they felt moved. I think that was really the most important piece of this project for me. So rediscovering your body is a playbook. It is a playbook, yes. <laughs> and, and you know, about a year ago, we had we had an expert on talking very about play and play and your in your life and play in your sex life. And I think um, embracing play is is a really great way to start embracing your pleasure. So I love the way that you have framed your book, and I'm looking forward to picking it up for myself and for my students. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you. Great. Well, Tara, we really appreciate you taking the time. Um, This has been a really enlightening episode. I think we've, like we said, we've been wanting to do this episode for a long time. It's so important, um, but we wanted to make sure we had someone who could speak on it from an expert level and not just anecdotally, because we sure do all have our own anecdotal stories, but um, we really do appreciate you being on the show and we will uh, make sure to include your book link in the episode so people can check it out. Um, and yeah, thank you for helping us put a lot of myths to bed about body image and the importance of reconnecting your body to self and to sexuality and getting your sexy back. I love it. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> Let's a pleasure. Do it. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in for this week's episode of Sex Ed Debunked. During the course of our podcast, we have limited time together, which means that unfortunately, many identities, groups, and movements may not be represented each week. The field of sexuality and gender orientations, identities, and behaviors are changing and growing rapidly, and we remain committed to being as inclusive as possible. Please remember that all of us, including us, are learning in this area and may occasionally slip up. We ask that we all continue to be kind to one another so that we can create a truly inclusive and accepting environment. As always, if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to us at Sex Ed Debunked on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Sex Ed Debunked is produced by Trailblaze Media in Providence, Rhode Island. Our sound producer is Ezra Winters with production assistance from Shay Weintraub.